Hey guys, and welcome back to the Yes Means Yes podcast. On this week's episode, we are going to be discussing with um, child carers, teachers, daycare workers, all those things about child sexual violence or sexual abuse. As usual, my name is Faith Namashev. I'm the Victim Advocate and Outreach Coordinator with Rape Counselors, and I'm going to let everyone else go around, introduce themselves, and kind of talk about what experiences they have working with children, adolescents, you know, anyone under that 18-year-old range. Hi, I'm Amanda Carpenter, and I actually work with Faith at Rape Counselors of East Alabama, um, but I have been, before I started with Rape Counselors, I actually was a pre-K teacher for 14 years. Hi, I'm Brantley Shields. I also work with Faith at RCEA. Before coming to RCEA, um, I have about seven years of experience with nannying, working in daycares, and working in a preschool. Hi, I'm Tony Hess. I um, am an elementary school teacher and I've been teaching school for 19 years now. And before being a elementary school teacher, I worked at a daycare and um, was I mean, yeah, obviously in high school did babysitting jobs, but that's kind of my work with uh, child care. Thank you. I'm Bright Shields. Um, I am a second year teacher. I teach secondary education, so currently in a ninth grade history position. Um, I've also coached, I coach currently, and I um, have coached since really I've graduated high school. So um, I've been around kids and students uh, really my entire life, but especially um, since I've been uh, out of high school. Um, my name is Carly Henderson, and I've been teaching for three years. I have, um, I've taught kindergarten and pre-K. I'm currently with kindergarten, but also, I mean, I've done, you know, babysitting. Um, I've worked at a daycare. I've worked at summer camps, and then I also um, have coach junior high high and high school so I have that experience too as far as like kids and um so small children and then you're you know the ones that are in high school too um hi I'm Madison I worked in childcare for five years um I worked at one in Huntsville and I've worked at three in Arkansas where I go to school and I currently work at a clinic for kids who have disabilities Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Um, I feel like we have a good variety of individuals here who have worked in different kind of like sectors of childcare. So I'm excited to kind of get into the questions with you guys. So we obviously were a rape crisis center. We mostly do with sexual assault and like sexual violence, usually like ages 13 and above. But you know, sometimes obviously we do have some cases that are younger or work closely with like the child advocacy center in our area. So we just really wanted to touch on like child sexual abuse and like your experiences as teachers, because we also do go into the schools. We talk about Aaron's law, safe dating, all those things, which we're going to kind of explain more later. So just to give y'all kind of like a premise for um, why we thought it was important to do this episode. So I want to ask um, everyone, have you ever experienced a child, teenager, anyone you were either a coach or carer for tell you that they were experiencing a form of sexual violence? Um, I do have experience with this. A family I nannied for, um, one of the children in the family came forward and told me that she was being molested by one of her friend's parents. Um, and so I spoke with her parents um, and they quickly got 
uh, DFACS in Georgia, quickly got DFACS involved and um, started working towards resolving the issues that were happening. I've never um, necessarily had a child to come and tell me that, but I have had where I've taught previous children um, where family members have came to me um, that have taken care of children that were in their family somehow or some way because they had been sexually abused when they were younger and now living with them. I, I've never had one tell me specifically that this was going on. Um, and I don't know, I, and I didn't say this earlier, but I teach middle school kids and I've for the, my uh, teaching career, I've taught fifth and sixth grade. And I find sometimes at that age, they don't express so much with stuff. Uh, sometimes you have to go off of signs or, um, or they just will might ask to speak to the counselor at the school. Um, so I've known cases where it's happening, but nobody has necessarily told me specifically that that was going on. So I know some of you had said that you had had someone tell you individually or others said that no, but there were kind of like, you know, signs or that you had heard it kind of like from another person. Are there ways that you could tell when a child might be a victim of sexual abuse? And have you like seen any of those signs with any kids you've worked with? I just know like through the years, you know, just research and, and listen to different people, um, especially like I taught, you know, four and five year olds. So definitely when they're playing and how they're playing. So like, you know, we have different centers and one of our centers would be dress up or it would be kitchen. And so sometimes you, you know, you'll pay attention more to how they're playing about like playing doctor and just, saying different words or maybe doing more things that you're like, wow, that's, that's a little much for them to be doing at that age. Um, so if I ever, and there are a couple of times, cause I did teach for 14 years that I did kind of question something sometimes. Cause I was like, wow, they're really, you know, more knowledgeable about things or just how they were playing. Um, I would just pay more attention to it. Um, but I never really, felt at the end that I needed to question or ask anything because I never felt that it was necessary at that time. But I, I guess that was my whole thing is you just paying attention to what they're saying and how they're playing and interacting with other children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I agree. Like you have to kind of sometimes their behaviors um, and how they are and, and, and every child is different with necessarily how they react to what's going on. You know, some can be very, uh, become um, introverted and, and doesn't really say a whole lot. And then others, they are lashing out because of, of it happening. So sometimes it's just kind of, you have to watch for behaviors that are not normal for mm -hmm. that child. Um, and like I said, I've, and I've had it before where I've questioned it. I've never questioned the child just because even though I know that like I will, I will go and have a conversation with our counselor or I'll say, Hey, I don't, you know, maybe, and she does, she's the one that kind of will dig a little bit deeper into it and see because she has that more access to that and what I do. Um, I definitely agree with Tony and Amanda, as far as, you know, you have to watch their actions and you have to see how they're acting. I know like, especially with four and five year olds, 
they're not going to be able to verbalize some things either. So their actions are what tells you, you know, and I think it really comes down to just knowing each kid in your classroom or each kid that you're working with, because if I know that kid, then I know that it's abnormal for him or her to come in and do that or to come in and act that way. If, especially if it's something that has just begun happening, you know, that school year or that semester or whenever you're around them, if I know that kid, I know that there's a change in their behavior. I know that there's a change in, wow, they don't want to be at school anymore. You know, like there's just certain things that you can look for. And I think it really starts with as an educator or as people that work with children is getting to know those kids and kind of knowing, you know, this is their personality. Some kids may walk in every day and just kind of be introverted. Mm -hmm. But when that kid that you know is not introverted comes in and acts that way, it should be, you know, almost a sign. But you're not going to know that if you haven't, you know, taken the time to get to know those kids and know how they act. I definitely agree um, that it's all about, in my opinion, about re relationships that you build with your students, being a teacher from a teacher's perspective. Um, not only for the fact, you know, Carly said she works with um, preschoolers and I work every day with high schoolers who are able mostly to verbalize um, how they're feeling, but they don't a lot of times, yeah. especially with someone that they don't feel comfortable with. Um, so I think that, um, those relationships that you have with your students, knowing when they come in the door, if something's off, um, not necessarily, you know, bringing up things, asking them, questioning them, but, you know, asking them what's wrong and, uh, getting, digging further into things sometimes I can I think can be very, uh, beneficial, but like I said, I think it all goes back to the relationships that you have mm -hmm. with, uh, the children that you're working with in any capacity. Another one that I saw, like y'all said, it's like paying attention to their behaviors. Um, just with my experience, the, the adolescent that I was um, nannying for, she became like very withdrawn. And that was just like y'all are saying, like paying attention to what's abnormal. That wasn't really like her. And when she did kind of have more energy, it was a more aggressive um, kind of energy that she was putting off and she also had like a big change in like her eating habits she would call home from school a lot and say I'm having stomach issues like I'm just really nauseous I want to go home and it was just a lot of like something clearly was off um, but obviously nobody really knew what it was in the moment but just seeing those changes in behavior and really knowing um, the individuals in your life is like the biggest thing to me. Um, I'm gonna agree with all of that stuff. Um, but also, um, what we look for at work, um, is some emotional changes. So like, sometimes they won't eat at all. Sometimes they'll just sleep all day. So noticing like emotional things that are wrong, as well as some physical things. Um, because I work at a clinic for kids who have disabilities, we have to write accidents or incident reports all the time, even if it's like something really, really small that's not going to leave a mark. So like, if we notice like scratches on their back or like on their arms or like somewhere like weird or suspicious, like we keep our eye out for those kind of things too. And I know, I think Maddie, we've had this conversation before when it's, a younger kid or even just like would it someone beyond the age of where they should be potty trained sometimes they'll revert back and start like bedwetting or um having yeah. issues with that when they 
are experiencing like sexual abuse yeah yeah they'll just start peeing on themselves all the time or um they'll just like start acting like a baby again even if they're like five years old yeah yeah we'll go back to that regression so as teachers daycare workers child carers did y'all ever receive any kind of training um, on this topic of like what to look for, um, what to do, or was, I know schools probably have different, obviously mandates of daycares, but what kind of training have you ever been given on this topic? Um, I was given online training called Pro Solutions. It's where all of our trainings through. Um, basically, um, it's not the best, but it's not the worst. You just read these PowerPoint slides, and then you take a test at the end. But also, I'm still in school, so we have had classes on how we have to, like, we're mandated reporters and, like, signs and stuff like that. Okay. Um, the preschool. Yeah. Go ahead. You go ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um. Speaking from the school perspective, I know that, um, you know, we are Aaron, Aaron's Law State in Alabama, so we do, um, we're required to um, take training, have training every year through Aaron's Law, and we, it's an online platform I know that, that I've had, that I've experienced, and um, it's more of a, of a checklist item most of the time, mm -hmm. which is sad to say, but it is. Um, you know, we're required to, to listen to videos and take tests that I mean, most of the time, nobody really pays much attention to. Um, but there is a requirement, like I said. Um, so we do things like that, but it's more, there needs to be more accountability. I would definitely say so in, in what you learn and what you, um, what you take in from those courses. And we, so I taught um, at a preschool in a church. And so we actually had to do, um, a training called safe sanctuaries and so it kind of it went over like signs and stuff but it also mostly just went over like about things that we had to do to keep ourselves safe like you know um if you're ever with a child and you're they have an accident or something and you have to be in there you need to leave the door open or always have somebody else there with you um so that was what kind of training we had I also teach in Alabama, so I also we did um, Aaron's Law, and it was the same platform online. And as Brack said, it is very much of a, you know, these are the things we have to do before the school year starts. <laughs> and this is one of them. And, you know, you watch the videos, you answer the questions, and then, you know, it's checked off the list. Mm -hmm. And I'm the same way. We have to do the – it has to be completed at the beginning of the school year, okay. um, along with uh, the, all the beginning of the year training that we have to go through. But yeah, it's, a, it's an online platform that you go through. They, it'll take you through scenarios. And then and because we are mandatory reporters, we, you know, we have to, um, they, we have to kind of check that off the list for that. Yeah. So I'm actually glad that y'all mentioned Aaron's Law because that really just brings me into question five. Um, I know Tony, Carly, and Brack has kind of said that they do know what Aaron's Law is. And in the state of Alabama, we are required to teach Aaron's Law. Um, for anyone who is listening, Aaron's Law is basically um, teaching children about child sexual abuse, um, you know, good touch, bad touch, 
going over a little bit of body safety, stranger danger, all that kind of stuff. But as in, in our curriculum, because actually our organization is thankfully able, we have a separate prevention education program and we're able to personally go into schools in the counties we serve. So that's not on y'all as educators. So that can be like our job because you guys are dealing with test prep, like all kinds of other things. To, so um, we thankfully are able to take that burden off of y'all. Um, and do the Aaron's Law ourselves as like a sexual violence center. So it is something that like with the younger kids, we focus on that body safety. But as we go in middle school, high school, we talk a lot about like safe dating, healthy relationships, going and go over like dating abuse and things like that. So Tony, Carly, Brack, you guys said you did know what Aaron's Law is. Maddie, have you heard of Aaron's Law before this moment right now? Um. <laughs> I have, um, and Arkansas is also a part of that. Okay, that's true. I, I forget that you're from Arkansas, so that's good to know. I think, like, there's, like, seven states that don't have Aaron's Law mandates yet. Um, someone needs to fact check me on that, but I know it's not a ton, but it's still not good enough. Well, being from, I now live in Alabama, but being from Georgia, mm -hmm. I actually didn't know what Aaron's Law was until, I believe, it got um like Georgia took on Aaron's Law I believe 2017 2018 um and that's when I first heard about it um because my mom's an educator and she had to learn about that um and you know go through all of the trainings with that um but before that I had never heard of that and we were never taught anything like that in schools um and we had never been told that we'd need to teach anything like that I think, again, fact check me on this. I believe in the state of Alabama, Aaron's Law was introduced in either 2014 or 2015. So it's fairly new to this state as well. But I do recall, um, and of course, I lived in a bigger city in Alabama. I lived in Huntsville when I was in like kindergarten, elementary school. I very vaguely remember something very similar to Aaron's Law um, being taught even when it wasn't mandated. Um, but so... Amanda, Brantley, and Maddie, does y'all's and y'all's experience, have you ever had to do Aaron's Law training yourselves? Um, I have not. Not until I started RCEA. Um, I did for one daycare, but um, not anything else. Um. The teachers did when y'all go through that training is it then you know kind of your responsibility to teach that to your children um i think speaking from a high school perspective i think they get that in their health class um, <laughs> i'm pretty sure at some point which i don't know the mandates as far as children goes is that an every year thing like they get that every year they're supposed uh, to okay well then if that was the case what i was talking about then they don't get it every year I don't know when they work it in, but, um, yeah, I, I would imagine and I think that they definitely do that in health class, but that's only one year. So I don't know. I have not personally witnessed any other time that that has been taught. Our counselors, our counselors do it. Sorry. At our school. That's what I was going to say too. <laughs> yeah. Like we have, they meet, um, our counselors meet with every grade level every month, at least once. And so, um, they have it, I think, into their curriculum uh, to do it. Now, when is it taught during the year? I'm not sure because it at all, but I, but they have it to do. And they, like I said, they, um, they, they take it in a class setting and do it. Okay. 
Ours is the same way. Our counselor will meet with each of our classes um, at least once a month. And, you know, she'll have different topics, um, but that is one of the topics. Okay. That's I would cool. imagine that I'm a history teacher, so they don't really, they don't normally come into a history classroom. Yeah. I would imagine they would, they would do that in some type of science classroom or something like that. But I would imagine that they have the same setup in, as, as far as counselors sharing and uh, things like that. I will say from our perspective, when we are able to go into schools, um, we'll kind of do it very similarly. We will hit each school. Um, we'll just have one big presentation per how they want to do. Usually it's by grade. So like we'll go and we'll do like all the first graders one day. But that'll be something that we go in and we do just like once every school year that they're like required to meet that. Um, and I know some counselors that we've talked to say that they supplement what we do just because, you know, it would be pretty hard to go through all of that, especially when you have like kindergarten, first graders who can't sit still for more than 15 minutes um, to listen. But we really, I think, had people come to rely on us to come in and do that for them. So it is something I think. I'm proud that our services are able to provide that to our counties and um, alleviate just a little bit of something from them. So yeah, if you didn't know about Aaron's Law, um, you guys just got a real good crash course, listeners out there. Um, so we kind of answered this question already, but have you, any of you ever done any other sexual violence prevention education in your line of work? I haven't. I think it's been a long time, but I used to work at a youth development center. I worked at a, um, a stars program, which I guess is kind of considered like a girl's boot camp. And then I also worked at a detention facility for juveniles. Um, and I do believe I did have some trainings, but that was 15 plus years ago. So I can't really clearly remember, but I do remember um, us having train, trainings on that because we do have a lot of children that were in there that um, had experienced, you know, um, sexual abuse. So I know that we did get um, a lot of training on that. Okay. Yeah, I'm hearing a general consensus from everyone else that it's no. Yeah. Okay. So do you believe that teachers, child carers, daycare workers, anyone who's responsible for the well-being of child, do you think that this is a responsibility that they have to be educated on this topic um, and to somewhat intervene when they kind of see these warning signs or have someone come and speak to them? Absolutely. Um, yeah, same. I do. That's just, I mean, I feel like we are, um, you know, kids are with us, especially teachers, for eight hours a day. So we, you know, and we are the, their advocates. And sometimes when, when it's happening at home, their only safe place is school. And so I feel like we have to be there for them and we've got to speak up for them and we have to be their voice because they're not getting it. Uh, you know, if it, obviously if it's something's going on with them, they're not getting it where they should, you know, they're not, they're not being able to, um, we, we're their advocate. We have to, we have to be there for them. Um, I agree for, with Tony, and that's why it's so important that we should be trained on things like that because we do see them, you know, especially in education for eight hours a day. And me coming out of college, a college student doesn't know what to look for if you haven't been taught and you haven't been trained. So it does me no good to be their advocate if I don't know what I'm looking for. So I think that's a huge part of, you know, 
Aaron's law is a huge step, you know, because I know things just from Aaron's law that I wouldn't have known before stepping into the education field. I learned things in school, but there were still some things in Aaron's law that, you know, like um, Amanda was saying earlier, watching them in like play settings, you know, I'm more, I'm going to focus more on that now because I've been taught that. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a huge, um, like, that's just important that we are trained so that we can be a, you know, an adequate advocate, not just an advocate. Mm -hmm. I'm in my position. I definitely think obviously that teachers need to be advocates for their students, but I also think um, since I have older students and even younger students that we need to teach them to be (laughs) advocates um, and, and speak up and let them know that in your classroom, at least that there is a no judgment zone um, regardless of, you know, what the case may be. And I feel like we as teachers are able to do that. I feel like we're on the front lines of uh, situations like this because a lot of times, like Tony said, we are the ones that these children trust. Uh, we are their outlet. Uh, if they have, you know, a home life where something like this is happening, um, a lot of times that we're the only people that, that they would tell um, because we've built those relationships. So I definitely think that um, not only is it our responsibility as educators and, you know, child care workers to be advocates, but also to teach um, self-advocacy to our, our students and our children. Yeah. And I, I agree with everybody um, because I know just sometimes in school settings, especially when you do spend a lot of time with children, you become their safe haven, especially if they have a family life that's not very good. Um, and I think that's like, with COVID-19, you know, when Faith, if you remember us talking to my friend that's a DHR worker, mm-hmm. you know, the numbers were down, but they definitely were like, once school starts back, those numbers are going to skyrocket because those children have been kept at home and they haven't had a way to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't had people watching for those red flags and, and trying to take care of their self um, well-being. So, um I definitely think that's very important because, and actually during the whole COVID-19 quarantine, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, my children are here 24 seven. This is hard. This is, you know, but in the back of my mind, all I did was really think about those kids that were in really bad situations um, because it just makes it even worse for them. And then, you know, that's the reason your numbers are down at DHR. You don't want your numbers to be up at DHR because you don't want that to be happening. But in reality, it's because people aren't reporting because the people that are reporting it is mostly teachers, coaches, and, you know, those people that are reporting it. Okay. Well, we're about to move into our final question. But before we do this, does anyone have any comments, anything else they would like to add or say before we kind of end? No. Well, I think, I think it's important to know that um, it is a, everything that we're talking about tonight is a major issue in our country and it's happening more than what people probably realize. And, um, and so it's, it's important to be taught. And I think where it starts to hopefully stop in the problem is talking about it and getting people more comfortable to come forward feeling comfortable to talk about it and to tell other people so it can stop. But I really do think, I mean, just being in the, being in the education system and coaching as long as I have, I just, there's just more than what people really realize that it's it's going on. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that is really one of our main goals of this podcast is to provide that awareness and destigmatization of being a victim of sexual violence. Because we, we don't want to see, obviously, our numbers go up. But to us, it kind of is a sign that, hey, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing because these people probably just were not reporting before. Yeah. Um, so we definitely see that a lot. Um, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you guys our last question that we always ask our podcast guests to end our episodes. So what is your message to survivors? Um, uh, mine is don't feel pressured to talk about it until you're ready to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mine would be don't let it define you but let it change you like, you know, let it not, don't let that define you that you can still be anything you want to be. You know, one, one bad situation that happens in your life shouldn't mess up the rest of your life. You know what I'm saying? And so don't let that be that moment that you, that you feel like it is taken away from, you know, you take it back and you be the person that takes it back and you go forward with that and be, the person that you know you're called to be and you're and you're supposed to be yeah piggybacking off what tony just said um before i came into this i actually watched some videos um of aaron moran because i didn't want to have any i wanted i wanted some background information mm-hmm. um so i watched some of her videos and i think um something to tell survivors is look at her and look at where she's at and look at where she's been and look at the progress that she has made not for just herself but for you know, the entire country um, and different parts of the world, I'm sure um, that she's had an impact on. So I think don't allow your circumstances and um, what you've been through to determine your path. I mean, your future. Um, so move, move on and do something about it um, and try and prevent it from happening to other people in, in the future. Um, so yeah, uh, don't, don't allow your circumstances to keep you down. Um, kind of going off also what Breck said that one, you're not alone as far as, you know, that is a good point to make that, you know, this has happened now, not the exact same situation. You do, each person has their own unique situation, but you're not alone in some of those feelings and you're not alone with some of those things. So again, don't let that define you push forward to be what you know you can be and what you want to be. And just, um, you know, take hold of the people that do love you and that you can trust and use those resources as you go on through your life. And I guess I would piggyback off everybody else and you know, you're not alone. And I think too, the biggest thing is telling people that there is hope um, and that time does heal. Um, It may take a long time. It takes some people longer than others, but just knowing that there are people out there that are your support system. There are people out there that love you. There are people that care about you. And it may even be people that you don't even know, but there are people that are constantly fighting for you, even when you don't realize they're fighting for you and that you're not alone and that there's so much hope for you. And I always like to tell people that, you know, things happen in our lives, um, some really bad things and it's kind of like it's a chapter in your book but it's not your whole book and that there's always another chapter that you're going to turn to and that chapter is going to be better or it may be worse but every cha- every day is a new day and there's just hope and that you know there's people that love you and 
to reach out to people, um, especially like if you know someone or you have school teachers or coaches or anyone in the school system or anyone in your family or anybody that you're friends with, their parents, whoever, reach out to those people because they're there, especially educators, they're there because they want to be. There's not a lot of money in it. There's not a lot of benefits to it. So they're there because they care. And so they're there to help you. I think I would just say you don't realize how many people are on your team. There are so many people that will stand beside you, stand behind you, go in front of you and just hold you through the whole process. Um, just when you're ready and when you're willing, let them because that's what, that's what they want to do. Well, thank you guys so much for all joining us today. This was a really good podcast and I felt like we had some good discussion. Um, I'm actually going to be putting some resources for survivors of child sexual violence below and kind of like things that would be applicable if you were to find out someone in your life was experiencing this. Um, just for any listeners out there who may need those resources. But um, that is all we have for you guys today. And we will see you on the next podcast. Bye. Bye. Bye.